Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to another edition of Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes football and recruiting podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Network. We are on to week two of the season. The Miami Hurricanes are going to host the Appalachian State Mountaineers. And to learn more about Appalachian State, we are going to bring on and welcome David Ware, the publisher of App State Mania, who is a member of the 24-7 Sports Network, do a great job over there covering the Mountaineers, one of the best group of five programs in the country going right now. So, David, want to welcome you on the podcast, and uh, let's just jump into it, man. Let's, uh, let's start with head coach Sean Clark, right? Um, tell, tell Miami fans just you know, big picture wise, what's he, what's he all about in terms of what type of identity does he want his football team to have? Yeah, sure, David. Uh, great to be with you and, and the Miami fans. Looking forward to, uh, to being down your way for the game this week. Uh, as far as Sean Clark goes, a uh, ton of history with App State. He was a player uh, back in the 90s. Uh, an offensive lineman was an FCS All-American and, and as an offensive lineman, uh, he carries the kind of mentality you would expect from an O-lineman. Uh, it's, it's very physical. It's very tough. Uh, he grew up under uh, legendary head coach Jerry Moore, who was the coach who, of course, uh, won three straight FCS national championships at App State. So uh, a lot of that culture uh, travels on with Sean today. He, he respects what Coach Moore did, and, and he's maintained a lot of that. But it's, you know, it's very much about um, – about individual responsibility, uh, about physicality. It's going to be a run-first game plan, uh, and you know, no excuses really. Uh, you go out and you play to win. Um, you do the things you need to to prepare, uh, and if things don't go your way, you accept you know where your failures were, and then you you work to get better from those. So, I, Sean is just you know very blue-collar, um, straightforward, honest guy really great to work with from a media perspective because I mean you know when it comes to a lot of a lot of guys say you know they tell right. it like it is Sean really tells it like it is is he is he still heavily involved with the offensive line even as the head coach you know I'd say he I mean it, it, it's hard to ever get a position coach completely away from his position right. um Nick Cardwell is the offensive line coach and Nick was also a player at App State he was a tight end while he was at App uh, was there for the national championship run. I say he was a tight end. Nick would tell you uh, he could count on two hands the number of passes he actually called. So he was really much more of a blocker. Um, and Nick understands, you know, what Sean's looking for there. Sean is certainly always involved, but I know in talking with Sean, you know, one of the things he, he said he's had to really uh, learn and kind of adjust to is making sure that he is being the head coach and that he's involved uh, and knowledgeable in everything that's going on. So I, I think he's had to 
maybe exert a little personal discipline. But, uh, you know, if, if you're wondering where he is, you always look at the offensive line group first. Week one, 33-19 win over East Carolina. Uh, what do you feel like you learned about Appalachian State in that first game? Well, uh, I mean, look, all, all of the offseason coverage really revolved around the situation at quarterback. Uh, familiar name to Miami fans, Chase Bryce, uh, who transferred from Clemson to Duke and has now uh, come from Duke to App State. Uh, he's our starter. Um, you know, that was where all the focus was, uh, you know, somewhat based on the fact that he had that ACC history and, and you know, had, had bounced a couple of times. But also because at App, we've, uh, in the last seven seasons, we've only had two primary starting quarterbacks. So turnover has not been um, something we've really dealt with very often. Uh, so having somebody not only new in, but new in terms of, it's not like Chase was here a couple of years and then graduated into the spot. He was brand new. So we had to learn everything about who we are, what we are, and, and you know, develop relationships and that type of thing. Uh, I, I felt like Chase had a great game. Um, you know, the mantra to him has been, don't come here thinking that you have to win games for App State. You have to manage and direct this offense. There are a lot of skill uh, guys on this offense. There are a ton of super seniors on that side of the ball. Uh, Chase has to make good decisions and manage things properly. But he doesn't have to come here and throw for 350 yards a game in order for App to win. So I'd say that was number one. Um, number two, our defense is every bit as fast as I thought it was. Um, that's a scheme that has been built on speed. And one thing I will tell Miami fans, you know, if you haven't seen our depth chart yet, when you start looking uh, at our defense, you're going to wonder how we stack up against anybody because our, our defensive linemen are not uh, as, as mammoth as maybe you're used to seeing, certainly in the ACC. Well, we tend to run a little bit smaller through the linebacker group because it's about mobility. Uh, we want guys who can run, who can cover a lot of ground. It's a 3-4 defense. Um, with a stand-up edge rusher. So it looks a lot like a four front, but it's it's really designed to be a three. But, you know, it, it's built on two things. Number one, it's speed. Number two, it really requires 11 guys doing 11 individual jobs at once. And I know every defense is designed to be that way, but ours is uh, is very good when it works that way. It can be very punitive if there's a bust somewhere. So uh, there's a lot of discipline required in it. They were really good last week. In truth, uh, ECU scored 10 of their points late when we had the starter on defense and we're getting some younger guys some reps. So, you know, the I don't think the scoreboard necessarily captured the, the real level of the deficit there. Go, going back to Chase Bryce, and I think you hinted at it with explaining – the mindset he, he's looking to have at App State now, but was the sense, you know, when the coaching staff brought him in as a transfer, was the sense that he did try to do too much at Duke because, well, I, I would say just from an outsider's perspective, it could be that. I think also he upgraded the personnel going from Duke to App State, um, but, but did they feel like when they brought him in, hey, if we can rein him in, there is talent there that we will find useful at App State. Yeah, you know, I think it's a couple of things. I don't, I don't know that they so much had to rein him in. You know, I, I think a lot of people, as amazing as it seems, a lot of people that break down Chase's year at Duke uh, so, somehow overlooked the fact that COVID was going on last year, right? So, 
you know, he transfers in. He doesn't arrive in Durham until mid-July, which basically leaves him six weeks to absorb a David Cutcliffe offense, which, you know, as I understand it from our staff, is not a simplistic scheme, all right, number one. Uh, he, he's got no time, you know, virtually to be on the field with receivers, with running backs, with linemen, developing all that timing and chemistry. So, you know, I think he came in on uh, with a tough hand right out of the gate. You know, that was number one. He arrives at App in January. He goes all the way through spring ball, the entire summer offseason, and then fall camp. I think that's probably the biggest difference I see in him. I, I, I will, but I will tell you this about Chase, to his credit. Um, having interviewed him uh, several times at this point, uh, the one thing he's never done is run away from what went on at Duke last year. Right. You know, he, he took he took the acknowledgement that he was a part uh, of, of the things that didn't go right. And he learned from those things. And, you know, he said, I never want to forget them because ultimately they'll make me better. So I'll give him that kind of credit as far as the weapons around him go. Um, you know, I. <laughs> It's always tough when you're talking from a G5 perspective about an ACC sure. program, but um, I do think that the skill position talent at App State is better than he had it. Right. We've got we've got four super senior receivers uh, that going into last week's game had combined for over 6,500 yards and over 50 receiving touchdowns. So, um, you know, it, it's a little bit like offensive coordinator Frank Ponce has said to me a couple of times. You know, I, I don't really care where Chase goes with the ball. He's he's got good weapons wherever he sends it. He's just got to make the right decisions and, and get it to the right people on time. So I think it's been a lot about, you know, hey, Chase, take what's available to you. Don't feel like every play has to be a home run. And, you know, I saw that early last week against ECU. But then when some things opened up, we had a couple, couple of post routes that, yeah. that broke open for Thomas Hennigan. Uh, who's probably going to break App's all-time receiving record this year? You know, he hit Hennigan on a dime and uh, and made some big gains. So I, I think it was really more about just giving him the time to really kind of embrace the offense and feel comfortable in it. Is Hennigan the go-to guy? I don't know. That, well, you know, it's hard to say. I, I think it, it can change from week to week. A lot of it depends on the coverage uh, yeah. assignments that you put on him. Thomas has been a go-to just because. You know, he's one of those dudes, uh, Thomas is not going to blow you away with his 40 time, right. uh, but he's just one of those guys that knows how to play receiver. He gets himself open. He's he's held to deal with on a 50-50 ball. Uh, he always gets him, his body in the right position. He just, he plays the position really well. So, you know, by default, you can almost always find him open. But, you know, any of those four receivers, uh, Corey Sutton on the other side started his career at Kansas State. He's a North Carolina guy. His father played at App. So, you know, Corey has come back. He, uh, he had an ACL injury late in 2019, and then he opted out last season. Corey is back. He's 100%. Actually, he's up to about 215 pounds, which has not hurt uh, his ability to move. But, uh, you know, Corey is, is kind of next-level talent. Uh, Jalen Virgil is another outside receiver. Jalen is literally a sub 4340 guy. He owns, I think it's three or four wow. of the top 100 meter times in App State track, track and field history, and he's done that part-time. Uh, he's also big. He's about 6'1", 210 or so, uh, so he can get up and go. You'll also see him on kickoff returns and then in the slot. Malik Williams is another super senior, and, and Malik's just one of those crafty guys who, you know, the minute you, you, you think you've got the other three guys contained, 
he comes shooting across the middle or up the seam on you. And, and last year when we had some injuries at receiver, um, you know, there was a period of time where Malik was averaging over 20 yards a catch. So they're all guys that can hurt you. They've been doing this a long time. They're smart. Um, you know, I, I think that's one of the things that Miami fans, you know, if you, if you think back to the 2016 game where Miami came to App State to play, we didn't have, you know, we were only a couple of recruiting classes into FBS at that point. And we really didn't have the horses to go with you guys. Um, I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that, you know, uh, from top to bottom, the athletes are, are, are comparable because, you know, I think Miami's always going to have an advantage there. What I would say is that across the starter, the starters group, uh, you're going to see athletes this time yeah. around that look more like FBS. I agree. Just watching a little bit of the, you know, the start, the, the skill talent to me looks power five level uh, skill talent. So uh, Miami fans listening to this probably don't expect Appalachian State to look the way that they will look on Saturday. Do you, and we haven't even gotten to, to the running backs yet, but just do you feel like this is the most talented uh, skill group, offensive group in total that, that you've seen at App State? Because you've seen some good ones. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I would have to say it is. Um, and, and, you know, I, I don't say that lightly because we have right. had some good ones that have gone through here. But just given, you know, just given the description of the wide receiver group I just gave you, you know, these are all super seniors. So right. they're fifth and sixth year guys. Um, at running back, you mentioned, you mentioned those guys, kind of the, the lead horses there are uh, Cameron Peoples. Right. Uh, who probably will get the start. You know, Cam is a guy that we found down in Alabama I don't know how in the world he slipped by everybody down there, but, you know, Cam is 6'2", 225, yeah. um, but with breakaway speed. Uh, right. Very unusual for App State. I, I, I'm not sure I remember us having a running back that kind of fits that mold. So, you know, he can he can hit you really quick. He's a north-south guy. Um, also in the backfield, and it's a little bit of a, a contrasting style type of scenario, is actually a Miami guy. Right. Uh, Nate Noel, who played at, at Northwestern, which, of course, is just a, a massive powerhouse down there. Nate came in last year and, you know, we had some uh, we had some things go on at running back. We had one of our, our leaders uh, tear an ACL at one point. Uh, Cam was coming back from an ACL and was on limited snap count. And uh, kind of unexpectedly, Nate kind of got thrust in there. And, the, you know, the guy ends up running for more than 500 yards as a true freshman. Um, and, and he's, he's bulked up in the off season, you know, he's up to 190 now, so he can, he can get away from some of that, that initial contact coming his way. Uh, he had a great game last week. They were both over a hundred yards. So, you know, and, and again, that's, that's a large part of our identity. Um, we will, we will call plays based on what Miami puts in front of us. Uh, but just from watching, you know, watching you guys play, watching the game last week, uh, I know we're going to see a lot of bodies at the line of scrimmage. So, you right. know, they, be some decisions to be made there, but uh, that's a long answer around to answer your question, which was, yeah. Yeah, I would have to say this is probably the most talent I've seen across those offensive skill positions since I've been covering the team. An app always has a good, you know, I'm not speaking down on this when I say it, but a good group of five level offensive line year in and year out this year. My impression is the center. I, I forget his name, but the center and, and the right tackle in particular are very good players on the offensive line, right? How, how do you characterize that group up front? Yeah, um, the center is Bear Hunter. Uh, okay. Bear was an all Sun Belt 
right guard for the last two seasons, and he moved over into the center position when we graduated out uh, a four-year starter there. Um, so it's it's a great shift for him. Uh, still learning, uh, you know, I think, and still okay. still you know kind of capturing uh, the the responsibility that role but you know uh, very intense very uh, self-critical you know very competitive guy there but a lot of experience he's a, he's another super senior cooper hodges at uh, right tackle has been uh, all sunbelt a couple of times he's another florida guy uh, that we went and got there um over you know kind of over closer to the panhandle but um they you know they've been uh standard starters for a while now we do have a couple of new guards. Uh, when when Bear moved from right guard to center, uh, we had a we had a, a a transfer come in from Western Carolina, which is not too far from us to begin with. Isaiah Helms, who is a really big, really intense guy, he is he has really quickly implemented himself into that role and and gotten the coach's confidence. To the left of him, uh, or to the left of Bear at left guard. Damian Daly was a defensive lineman out of high school, signed at Colorado State, transferred back and actually went to Georgia Military College down in Milledgeville for, uh, for a year and made the transition from defense to offense. So, okay. uh, you know, he's still learning that offensive line position, but his older brother uh, is actually um, competing for the starting job with the Carolina Panthers right now at the same spot. So uh, cool. certainly it runs in the family there. And then the left tackle, Anderson Hardy, actually started the last uh, couple of games last season, uh, 6'6", 295. Uh, you know, I, I would say kind of going back to what I said about uh, looking at us physically, generally we favor smaller offensive linemen because the zone blocking scheme right. we use requires mobility. Um, but that being said, if, you know, if you go and look across the line, we're not Miami at, you know, 6'5", 320 on average, but, right. you know, we've got guys that are pushing that 300 level. And, and again, I think it looks uh, more FBS, you know, than probably you guys would remember from the last time we played. Switching over to defense, you, you touched on a little bit, but just when, when I was watching the East Carolina game, the thing that stood out to me, you know, without knowing much about app come, you know, coming into watching that game. I, I felt like the talent on the back seven was pretty impressive. Um, would you say that's like I 31, I forget his name, but you know, they had some height, weight, speed guys that I feel like, you know, will hold their own against Miami. Would you, do you think that's fair? You know, I think it's fair. Um, 31 is Nick Hampton. Uh, he plays kind of a, that, that stand up edge rush. For us. He's an outside linebacker, a uh, little taller, a little leaner. Um, you know, maybe I, if I'm making a, a college comparison that would probably be recognizable to Miami fans, kind of a Brian Burns type of thing from Florida State, a similar type of style and body uh, makeup. Um, it, our linebackers are all very athletic and can run. Uh, yeah. That's what I would say about them. Um, the corners are, you know, probably bigger than they were the last time we saw you guys, but not necessarily big in terms of, you know, six one, two hundred pound guys like you would typically see at a Miami or a, you know, a, a, what I'd call a power five type corner. Um, it, it's all really just based on making good reads and getting to the ball. Um, the one thing I would say defensively, you know, if I'm going to be honest about some areas that I, that I think we're going to have to address to be successful against Miami um, last week. And listen, in the, in the era of spread offenses, it's almost impossible to cover everything. Yeah. You know, there's just, uh, there, there's just too many things going on. There are too many guys. 
Um, you know, you've got to be able to go sideline to sideline. We have to be better getting out to the perimeter because um, I know you guys are going to work it out there. I saw it against Alabama. We're going to see it this week. Uh, and we have to tackle better. Um, I felt like there were some there were some times where we were in the right place and we just didn't get guys on the ground the way we needed to. So, you know, those are a couple of things I think we'll have to improve. The thing that's going to be interesting to watch, and, uh, you know, it's kind of the game within the game, you talk about the back seven. You know, we run a three-man front. And, again, if you look at heights and weights on that line, especially the defensive end, defensive end group, your mouth's going to hang open because you're going to say, how in the world are these guys going to compete with guys who are 235, 245, you know, 250 kind of thing? Because right. you guys are used to seeing 270, 280 at those ends. It's really built kind of on a, a this is going to be overly simplistic, but a, a, a mentality of if you can't catch it, you can't block it. Right. Uh, there's a lot of suddenness there. There's a lot of quickness. We're going to spread your tackles out away from the line. The nose tackle, Jordan Earl, another Florida guy, uh, Jordan is a, just a very strong young guy. He's really trimmed down in the offseason. He's had a little bit of burst. He's good at getting in those gaps and consuming you in the A-gaps. You're going to have to double team. So it's really about trying to draw the inside guys in, push the outside guys out, and then create some gaps. And, you know, we're, we're going to blitz a lot too. Nate Hampton's going to come – or Nick Hampton's going to come from the, from the edge. Uh, we'll bring linebackers some too. Uh, we will go some man coverage on you. Hopefully, uh, hopefully not too much because you know that's a, a revolver you don't want to roll too many times. But uh, especially with the speed you guys have got to the outside. But you know it, it's going to be a combination of some risk taking and you know just counting on guys to make plays. So you know I, I think that's where um, that's where you're really going to see uh, how we're going to hold up against you guys. I, I feel like offensively. Uh, we can probably hold our own and and consume some clock. And, you know, as long as we're not turning the ball over, stay in the game that way. But we've got to be able to limit big plays offensively for Miami, which I think is a lot easier uh, uh, said than done. Got two things, two more things for you. I guess just from a, you know, obviously this game, I would assume is, a, is viewed as a big opportunity for App State, right? From an App State perspective, has this game been circled on, is it fair? Like, cause you know, for Miami, this whole off season, it's been about Alabama, right? Alabama, Alabama, Alabama. Has it been like that with Miami for App State, you think? No, I, I really don't think so. And I don't mean that as a slight to Miami, sure. but you know, um, the, the mentality, and, and again, some of this goes back to, you asked me the question about Sean Clark and kind of the persona that he brings to the program. You know, the mentality is 1-0 every week. Uh, it's cliche. A lot of teams do it. But, you know, they really are trying to be disciplined about that. And, you know, for App, I, I think the reality is, you know, if you go back a few years, you know, we go over to Tennessee, we take them to overtime. Next year, we go to Penn State, we take them to overtime. Uh, a couple of years ago, we go to North Carolina and South Carolina. We win both of those games. Um, you know, and, and the guys that won those games at North and South Carolina most of them are still on the team. So they know that they're capable of it. They understand what it takes to do that. So it, it's not about not respecting Miami, because I can promise you they do, but it, it, it's about looking at it as if this is a game that we have played before against comparable competition. These are games that we have been very competitive in, if not having won them. And we know that we can come in there and we can play on Miami's level. And it's not a matter of disrespect. 
you know, they, yeah, yeah. If, you, if you don't come in expecting to win, I can guarantee you, you won't. Absolutely. And, and that's the mentality that this team is going to take is they're going to come in. They're going to listen. They're going to walk on the field. And they're going to expect to win that game. Sure. Um, you know, and, and they're going to force Miami to uh, convince them otherwise. And, right. and, you know, I think that's just a, I think that that's, that's probably a large part of why we've been as successful as we have uh, is because there's never a time we walk on the field and don't expect to win. So let me get you out of here on this. I don't know if you follow betting lines and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. The game opened, I think it's seven and a half from what I saw. Yep. I, I'm looking now, you know, yesterday was at eight. It's now creeped up to nine from what I see. What did you make of that opening seven and a half line? Because I think from a Miami perspective, it was surprising, right? Um, but what do you think about, you know, seven and a half and now nine, et cetera? And just in general, when you're watching the game this week, give me just like one key you'll be looking for from an App State perspective where if this is happening, it's a very good sign for App State uh, during the course of the game. Well, you know, on the betting line, um, I, I posted very early after the seven and a half line came out. I said, look, I, I, it's not going to stay here. I would expect it to be probably, I don't know, nine and a half, uh, yeah. 10, somewhere in that range by game time. Um, you know, I, I mean, betting lines are, I, you know, I think fans love them. They're fun right. to watch. Reality is, you know, I think we all know uh, Vegas moves those based on where the money's going. And so I don't, I don't think you could put a whole lot of emphasis on that, but um you know, in terms of, of a key to the game, um, you know, uh, football is a, a, a sport of mistakes. Uh, as much as the highlights on, you know, ESPN or CBS Sports are going to are going to be all the great stuff. Typically, uh, it, it's mistakes that typically shift a game one way or another. So, you know, a, a big offseason um, focus for app or a couple of them were turnovers um, in, in the three losses we had last season. We were negative six turnover margin. You just can't give the ball away. Uh, you cannot do it, especially with a, a team as talented as Miami's. Second thing was uh, pre-snap penalties. Um, you know, I, 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 you can't get behind the chains, especially on early down. So if I were going to cue one key uh, for app, uh, I think, and this really applies to both sides of the ball, sure. it is being successful on first down. Uh, we need to keep Miami in second and third and long type of situations where we can at least more predictably uh, assume, you know, maybe we're going to get into some passing down stuff. Offensively, we can't be in a situation where you guys can turn that blitz loose on second down. You know, we need to, we need to be able to pick up four or five yards and at least uh, keep you honest on whether it's a run or pass coming next. So I would say early down performance both ways uh, are, is really probably the first thing I'll be looking for. That's great stuff, David. I appreciate you coming on again. David Ware, the publisher of App State Mania. Go check out his work there, everyone. He does a great job. Um, I think I think it's going to be a, a good game, right? And, and again, I don't think Miami fans necessarily expect it, um, but I do think App State is a legit group of five team that Miami definitely needs to take seriously. And, uh, and also, too, we'll see how Miami bounces back from a tough Alabama loss in the season opener. So, going to be an interesting game once again thank you david and uh after this break gabby and i will jump into some mailbag questions from the message board this episode is brought to you by progressive insurance whether you love true crime or comedy celebrity interviews or news 
You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, we are back here, joined, as I said, by Gabby. And wanted to thank David Ware once again for jumping on the pod. Gave some really good insight, I think, into Appalachian State. Uh, Once again, a very good group of five team. Gabby and I will do a preview podcast here before the game. So we'll, we'll share our thoughts from a Miami perspective on Appalachian state and how the hurricanes match up against them. But as I said earlier in the podcast, we're going to jump into some mailbag questions. We asked our subscribers at inside the U, you know, shoot team or recruiting questions at us and we will answer them best we can on this podcast. So Let's jump into it. You ready, Gabby? Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. Okay. So I think we're going to start here with with the team questions, and we will close it with the recruiting questions. So first question we'll jump into is from Mac13. He asks simply, why is tackling still such a big issue under Manny Diaz? So I agree that the tackling wasn't great against Alabama. Uh, where I would push back is that it is, and I don't know if you're saying this, Mac, but I'm getting the sense that, that you feel like it's a, it's a common recurring issue game after game, after game, after game. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think overall during the course of a season, Miami's been a, a pretty good tackling team under Manny Diaz. Now there's certainly games where that's not the case, you know, just off the top of my head, Georgia Tech in 2019 was an atrocious showing in terms of tackling. Um, that's why, quite frankly, they were upset by the Yellow Jackets that day in an embarrassing fashion. North Carolina, of course, last year, um, the tackling was atrocious. We all know what that game was. Clemson in 2020, tackling was atrocious as well. You know, in terms of this Alabama game, I kind of look at it in this regard. And again, I'm agreeing with you. The tackling wasn't great, Um, but I would say it's game one, right? And I think a lot of coaches will tell you in college football that tackling is an area most commonly that you see improvement in from game one to game two, right? Especially now, I think in modern college football where, Quite frankly, they are not tackling very much at all in practice. Um, And so, you know, they do scrimmage. um, But even still, I think, you know, scrimmaging and playing a real game are different levels of of speed and intensity even. Uh, 
And so I, I do expect, you know, game one to game two improvement in tackling. Also, too, I think you got to remember when you play teams like Alabama who have, you know, height, weight, speed horses, right? Um, tackling is going to be an issue in those games, too. And that goes for any team Alabama is going to play against, right? So I think the context of the games that they miss tackles in matters in terms of who the opponents are. Um, now, if, if this is a recurring issue against Appalachian State, I agree, then we have a problem. And it's definitely something that will need to be asked to Manny Diaz moving forward. So let's go on to the next question, Gabby. And I think you can chime in on this one. It's from Kane Cowboys. He says, how many points should we expect to score this week versus App State to feel confident about the offense moving forward? Um, I think he's done the calculations on the betting lines, right? And he says, basically, Las Vegas is viewing the over-under for Miami at 31 and a half points. So what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I I would like to see more points in that. I mean, I feel like coming into the year, we talked about like, you know, we'd like to see them get up to maybe like the mid to high 30s. Um, right. I think that this is a chance to do that. Uh, you know, I would, I, I, would, I would like to potentially get into the 40s. I think that that's possible. I think that that's on the table. So, you know, Great. if we do see a performance like that, I mean, I'm not like, again, I'm not ready to hit the panic button on the offense um, or anything like that. So I'm really going to take this game in to sort of see where the offense is, because realistically, uh, you know, not saying like, you know, Miami's going to play better teams than Appalachian State, but Miami's not going to get anywhere near playing a team that's on Alabama's level. So I think this is more in the realm of overall competition in terms of just like a strong G5 team and then, you know, the rest of the ACC um, so I'm going to be interested to see how the offense plays in this one. I would, ex- I would, I would take the over of 31 yeah. and a half points if I was putting money on that game uh, or just on that line. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's how I'm sort of feeling about that. I'd feel pretty confident on hitting the over on that. And I'd feel good about, you know, probably 35 plus saying like, all right, I think they, I think they got it together. I feel like, I mean, if they don't go over 31 and a half, I would be a little concerned yeah. just, and you agree with that just cause yeah, I would. I do expect this offense to be good the rest of the schedule, right? Um, Wasn't the case against Alabama, which, you know, we were hopeful that they could score some points against Alabama. That wasn't the case, but I do think they can put up points the rest of the schedule. You know, I think if this, if they hit on some explosive plays this weekend against App State, I agree with you, Gabby. I think 40 points is on the table. If they have to grind out some drives, I agree again. I think 35 points is kind of what you're looking at. So I would be surprised if they don't score more than 31 and a half. You know, I kind of I kind of look at this game a little bit like I do last year's UAB game. And I forget the exact score. I think it was like 3317. Mm-hmm. Is that right? So yeah. uh, you know, I think Miami, or sorry, it's 31-14 was last year's UAB Miami game. So, and again, I think this year's offense is better than last year's. I would expect Miami to score more than 31 and a half. And if they don't, to answer the question of, you know, to answer this question, I I would be concerned about the offense um, in terms of like not taking a step forward off of last year. So we'll see how it plays out this weekend. Next question from Big Gooch. Why do we rotate so many guys so early in the game? After the fifth play of the game, 
we and he's talking about Alabama. We bring in Wayman Steed and BJ Jennings. Are we that out of shape? Or is Coach Manny Diaz that confident in the backups? So I noticed this, you know, being in the stadium, watching the first drive, obviously. Yeah, they rotated in Wayman Steed and Brad, Bradley Jennings on that first defensive drive. And, and I'll admit too, I mean, that had me scratching my head when I saw that gooch. And um, my take on that for now, I don't think it's like a conditioning thing. I don't think it's like Corey Flagg and Keontre Smith are out of shape and can't handle a full game of snaps. I kind of think that's a situation where going into that game, Manny Diaz did think that the drop-off between the starting pair and the backup pair wasn't that steep. And, you know, I think if he watches the film, and he kind of said this in his Monday press conference, that uh, Flag and, and Keontre were particularly noticeably good compared to the other two. And so I hope that that means that he is going to start giving a bigger percentage of the snaps to Flag and Smith moving forward. If not, I think that is going to be a question to ask Manny Diaz following this Appalachian State game. So I agree. I, I mean, it had me scratching my head, but I kind of chalk it up to a game one. Let's see what these guys put on tape. And now that they've been able to study the tape, hopefully they distribute the snaps the way it should be distributed. Would Do you have anything to add there, Gabby? No, nah, I, I, I just feel like, I mean, Coach Diaz said that he sort of wanted to rotate guys, right? Like, I feel like that was a part of sure. like, maybe the game plan, too, is just to get a bunch of different bodies and fresh bodies in. I think he felt better about the depth overall. So I think that's probably why we saw that. But, yeah, I would just, I would assume moving forward that Keontre and uh, Corey Flagg are the ones getting most of that run. It's time to make that move, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Next question, Winton18. Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped one. Kangang06 asks, what is the spirit and pulse of the team after Bama? Is the confidence that was radiating from the offseason still there? So, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, being around them a little bit at practice here this week and, and talking to the guys at the press conferences, you know, they, they seem normally focused like they are, like they were going into the Alabama game. I do, I will add, I think, you know, I do believe in the overall leadership of this team, you know, Derek King, um, anytime you have a quarterback like him leading the team, I think you feel good about a team not getting too high and not getting too low. And I will add that after Wednesday's practice, Manny Diaz and Nesta Jade Silvera both said on their own uh, that, you know, this team kind of has an edge to them going into this game. So that's certainly good to hear. But again, you got to translate that onto the field. And I'm curious to see what type of emotion uh, they come out with in that first quarter, you know, back at home, all that stuff. There's no reason kind of to come out flat, in my opinion. Um, so we will see what the spirit is on Saturday. But I don't, I don't get the sense in general that it was some crushing defeat in that regard that's still lingering, right? So good news in that, in that sense, but we'll see how it looks on Saturday. Winton18, he asks, what player do you think will get the most snaps and take over at right tackle this season? 
He says Justice Oluwashan, uh, the UNLV transfer that came in for DJ Scaife against Alabama. DJ Scaife or Jared Williams. I'll let you take this one first. Who do you think is going to emerge as the main right tackle here, Gabby? Yeah, I think it's going to be Justice Oluwashan. Um, you know, just seeing him like up close and in person, I mean, I thought his body type was maybe a little bit better than maybe I initially thought when I first saw him, like, I guess, running around next to the rest of the offensive line. Um, you know, I could see him being that, that guy potentially. I thought, I mean, what you saw on tape on that Alabama game, I thought was pretty, was pretty evident that he was at least an upgrade over DJ Scaife, uh, at least from like a right. pass pro uh, standpoint. I guess we really haven't seen Jared Williams. Well, we saw a little bit of him last year. Um, a lot of them last year. So uh, I think it's going to be interesting, man. I know at, uh, during parts of Tuesday's practice, Jared Williams was running as the right tackle. Uh, Justice Oluwishan was running as the right guard. So is there any mix and matching going on there? I don't know. My, my gut is telling me that, you know, the UNLV transfer is going to be the guy that sort of gets a lot of the run there uh, at right tackle moving forward, just based on what we saw during the game. Like, you know, we see on, I'm going to go based off that rather than like the 20 minutes we saw of one practice. So, um, that's probably where I'm at with that right now. Yeah. I, I, I think I would prefer to see Jared Williams. Um, but I get the move with justice. I think the belief from Miami's perspective is that, uh, justice might bring more to the table in terms of run blocking compared to Jared. Um, but if you look at what Jared did last year, he, in my opinion, he was very solid in pass protection the whole season. He only allowed 10 pressures on the quarterback, only allowed two sacks. Um, I agree, Justice was solid against Alabama, which is certainly encouraging because they're not going to see that type of talent in a front seven moving forward. Um, and, you know, the thing I think, like, the question that then has to be answered, if you go with Jared, do you then, like we saw at practice, do you move Justice to right guard? instead of Navon Donaldson. I would say I'm not ready to give up on Navon Donaldson. No, yeah. It wasn't a great showing against Alabama, but again, it's Alabama first game back really uh, in, in a serious manner. You know, I think he still has something to give at right guard. Um, but I, I, for whatever reason, I learned to, I lean towards Jared Williams. I don't know why. Um, I just feel like he was solid. I do wonder, Gabby, it just seems like every offseason, you know, uh, I don't know, DJ, the coaches love DJ Scaife, yeah. and then we see it on the field during the season, and it doesn't add up, right? Like this so, has been happening for like three or four years at this point, right? Like, yeah. he's been around the program for forever, and it's, it's sort of been the cycle for him between guard and tackle, and then starting, and then not starting, and then sort of showing us who he is, and then like, I don't know. I feel like it's just been a big, like, cause when he, when he has a bad play, it's disastrous, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. It's always really, really bad. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, look, I don't know. I, I, it just seems like every off season DJ's in the starting lineup, then he has some bad showings and then, and I'm glad that Garen and Rhett are quick to make these moves on the offensive line rather than just sticking it out. Cause if it's not working, it's not working. And I do think they have depth there to tinker with the starting lineup. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what they decide to do. Maybe, honestly, they rotate Justice and Jared and, and make it kind of a competition to yeah. see who does play better there at the right tackle spot. Um, 
USAF Kane asks, have your predictions for this season changed after the week one performance against Alabama? Go ahead, Gabby. I mean, my hat, mine hasn't. I mean, I thought this could be a 10 win team. I, that means two losses. Um, you know, I thought one of those was always going to be Alabama. Like, you know, I feel like, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, my mind hasn't changed a whole ton. I expected them to go out there and, you know, not come out of the other end with a win. That would have been fantastic, but I'm not just going to, I'm not ready to jump ship on my predictions based off what we saw in the first game. Again, David, you mentioned it earlier. A lot of, you know, you generally see a, pretty big difference between week one and week two. I think we're going to get a better idea of who Miami is moving forward now. Yeah. I think, you know, if, if you ask me this question against again next week and, you know, let's say Miami doesn't have a strong performance, then I think maybe that's a conversation, but I'm not ready to just start, you know, scratching out all my predictions and changing everything up based on, you know, that first game against Alabama. Like I'm, I'm personally not there yet. I agree. And, you know, maybe, this would be a question to ask after the Appalachian State game because I think it'll be more fair to judge this team after that game. I I think, you know, like you said, Gabby, I think we all kind of expected this to be a loss. I think, you know, it's always been more important to me the discussion of how's Miami going to bounce back after this loss, yeah. right? Um, and, and there's been a a couple examples of teams that have bounced back decently from losing to Alabama in the early parts of the season. You know, you look at last year's Texas A&M team, Mm -hmm. um, they lost by 28 points to Alabama and they went on to go nine and one, right? They ran the table after that 2016, you look at USC, they got drilled 52 to six. Um, Part of that was because they didn't have their quarterback situation figured out, but they inserted Sam Darnold into the lineup later on in that season, a few games after, and they went on to have a 10 and three season. 2015 Wisconsin went 10 and three after losing to Alabama to start the season. So it's all about how you respond uh, to these Alabama beatdowns, quite frankly. And look, yeah, I mean, Miami lost by 31 points. My biggest issue with it was that it wasn't competitive in the first quarter. Um, I don't know if the margin of loss is really something that bothers, bothers me all that much. To me, it's just that you weren't even competitive in the first quarter. That was extremely disappointing to me. Um, again, no one wants to hear it, but Texas A&M lost to Alabama last year by 28, Ohio State in the national championship game, lost to Alabama last year by 28. Um, and for the whole season, Alabama beat their opponents by an average of 29 points last year. So, you know, this is kind of what they do. And hopefully Miami, in terms of looking forward to the rest of the season, understands that they dust themselves off and they come back, um, you know, understanding that there's still plenty more to play for. Um, and, and to your point too, in terms of like, what did we learn from this Alabama game? I think it's hard to say, and and I kind of view it this way in a weird way. Right. I think when you open the season against FCS opponents, like let's say Miami opened against central Connecticut state. Right. I think it would be hard to know what we learned about Miami after that game. 
in the good way, right? Because Miami would just drill them to open the season. But what did we really know from that performance? At the opposite end of the spectrum, I think it's hard to know what we learned about Miami from that Alabama game because this Alabama team does look legit. I mean, there's still plenty of games to be played. We'll see how the season plays out for them, but they look as strong as ever. So that's my take. Yeah, I haven't changed my my projection. You know, I, I ten and two in the going into the season. I still think that's on the table, but they need to come out and play well against App State for me to cling to that ten and two prediction. USAF Kane also asks, uh, "We've gone, we've gotten blown out completely in the first half of the last four big games: Clemson, North Carolina." Oklahoma State, and now Bama. In your opinion, why do we always seem to enter these games timid and unprepared? So, so I'll, I'll start with this, right? I, this is a tough question. And I do think, you know, I do think two of the games need to be separated from the other two, right? Clemson and Alabama. Yes, they do. I agree. Like, I don't love the game plans in general for any of those four. Um, but it's hard for me to put the Clemson and Alabama game starting slow issues with the North Carolina, Oklahoma state starting slow issues. Um, because I do think Alabama and Clemson have the type of talent where once you start, uh, once you have self-inflicted wounds against those teams, things just start avalanching on you and and it's kind of hard to you know, work your way out of those holes. So I agree that they do appear timid and unprepared in those games, but on the flip side, it's hard. Like when Clemson and and Alabama are focused and engaged, I think they do that to a lot of teams, right? Uh, North Carolina and Oklahoma state, honestly, it's inexcusable to me. And I don't have an answer for that um, other than, it is an issue that Manny does need to address here moving forward. So, you know, if Miami loses another game this season and is down 14-0, 21-0 in the first quarter, um, he needs to start having answers as to why that keeps happening. Um, so, yeah, it, it's definitely a trend. I'm not going to disagree with that. And quite frankly, I don't know what the answer is to that Um, because I do think they have, I don't know if I necessarily agree with the timid thing. I do think they come out and play hard, but they do, they're, they're missing execution. Right. And they, it does seem like once they mess up once, you know, the moment seems too big for them. And, uh, you know, I, I honestly don't know what the answer is to that. Do you have any ideas, Gabby? I mean, I really don't. It just feels like whenever like the other team strikes first, it sort of just puts Miami in a bad spot. Like it almost seems that like that just like sort of snowballs, like, you know, again, Oklahoma, I mean, obviously Oklahoma state got up seven early, got up. I mean, before we knew it, it was 21 zero. I just feels like, right. you know, if Miami, if Miami, if, if a team gets that early score, Miami doesn't respond to it. It almost feels like whatever happens that next defensive drive could potentially determine how this is going to go because it always feels like they sort of find their way back, 
but it just seems like it takes a little bit too much of time. And yeah, again, there's no real answer for it. There's no real excuse for it. It just seems in some, it seems like in some of those big games, it's just what tends to happen. And again, it's not like, oh, well, like not, you can't use the Alabama or the Clemson excuse on all of them. Like there is like the North Carolina, and Oklahoma state, um, you know, that, that can't happen. And again, like what you said, David, if that happens again, yeah, I think there, there needs to be some conversations about what exactly that is or why exactly that's happening. But um, it just feels like that's the trend to me right now. It's hard I to mean, put a finger on exactly what it is. When they've played good teams, they, they have been kind of a front-running team here recently, right? Mm-hmm. So there haven't been, like, the only case of it going well against a legitimate team early is Notre Dame 2017, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So it started really well and it snowballed against Notre Dame, right, to Miami's advantage. Whereas you look, you know, LSU, LSU started faster. Florida, I would argue, started faster. Mm -hmm. Um, Now Miami fought their way back into that Florida game, which was good to see because they didn't dig themselves into too much of a hole. Um, But there's no doubt that this label of Miami being kind of a front-running team, to me, is something that they do need to shed um, but I don't know. I mean, I think you just have to go out and do it. I don't know if there's necessarily anything, uh, like I don't, I don't, I don't have an easy solution or, yeah. or magic wand answer for how you do that. Um, other than recruit better players, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, gang zero six, although the result was clearly not great. Is there anything positive we can take from Manny? taking on the defensive play calling after just one game? Yeah. Uh, I mean, to me, it's, I mean, he said it on Monday, which I didn't realize he put Alabama's offense in 14 third and five situations or longer. I mean, I feel like that's a pretty impressive, you know, like, again, you walk into that game and you say 13, uh, 14, third and fives, you're, you, you're feeling good about that. So you fe- it feels like Manny Diaz is putting his, his defense in a good position to be successful. I think ultimately it comes down to that final execution where you need to get it done on that last play. Manny, De- the defense only came away with four wins out of those 14 opportunities. So not, not super great. That's like, it, it's like the numbers, obviously, like in, that needs to be significantly better. Against a different opponent, you know, you're hoping you can probably potentially put them in more third and long situations and right. you potentially convert on more in, in terms of just getting the defense on the field on more of those opportunities. So I'm not like, I get the result was the result, but I mean, those little details against a worse team, a, a significantly inferior offense could potentially yes. turn way towards Miami's favor. So, you know, I, I like what my, what Manny Diaz is able to do. I like the foundation of the defense and, you know, I do believe it's faster. I do believe he was creative with some blitzes, bringing yes. Corey flag off the edge, you know, showing, showing Alabama different looks. Ultimately to me, it's just an execution thing at this point. And I was a fan of how the defense was lining up. I was never like, at no point was I just like, wow, like what defensive call was that? I think the 94 yard touchdown, I think it was just a ton of protection with a lot of time for that play to develop and, you know, it was just a strike. Brian, um, Bryce Young threw a strike. You know, it happens. Yes, there was some broken coverage. I think on that first touchdown, there was a bit of broken coverage that just had a receiver just by himself. You know, yeah, there is, there is little things like that that you need to clean up. But overall, the product in its entirety, I don't think is very broken right now. I thought Manny Diaz did a, a pretty good job of putting his defense in, you know, favorable situations. Yeah. Ultimately, 
the execution is what needs to, you know, come just be better. I think the defense was coordinated better than what yeah. we saw last year, yeah. right? And I agree with your point in terms of the blitzes, and you know, both from a creativity standpoint mm-hmm. and from a volume standpoint, yeah. I feel like it was more aggressive than what we saw the last two years. And I feel like it was, you know, more creative. There, there was some wrinkles in there that mm-hmm. we haven't seen here in recent years. And quite frankly, they were effective, right? Um, you look at the numbers, Miami's defensive players combined to total 35 pressures in that game. You look on the flip side, Alabama's defensive players combined for 21 pressures in that game. So the difference was the finishing of those pressures into Mm -hmm. sacks, right? Miami didn't do that. They got one sack in the game. Uh, Alabama had what four, I believe. Um, And Bryce Young was also unreal. Bryce Young is a special player. Yeah. He's a special player. So he, I think it was, you know, I, I think, Defensively, the game plan was solid. Um, and the idea of coming at Bryce Young with a bunch of creative pr- pressures was the right call. But Bryce Young handled it. So, yeah. you know, you, you got to kind of sometimes. Right. Kane's MIA01 says, I know we only have two five stars, but we have plenty of mid to high four stars and have not improved since they got here. Sorry, that have not improved since they got here. I'm talking about DJ Scave, Cleveland Reed, Devon Donaldson, Gervin Hall, Jeremiah Payton, who's no longer on the roster, mm-hmm. Mark Pope, Al Blades, DJ Ivy, and really even Nesta to a lesser extent. Why do you think this is? Were they overrated? Is our scouting subpar? Is our development subpar? So yeah, this is a good question, right? Yeah. And to me, this is like, this is where the mindset of how you view recruiting, or this is how at least I view recruiting. I like to view recruiting in a big picture sense. And that's why I say it's so important to stack talent, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you look at, when you look at recruiting as a probability game, um, that's when, that's when you realize how, you know, it's all about the numbers. You got to play the odds to your favor, right? So look at, you mentioned uh, offensive linemen, right? Navon Donaldson, DJ Scaife, right? So from Miami's perspective, Navon Donaldson was a top 100 offensive lineman um, in the country when he came out of high school. DJ Scaife was a top 150 offensive lineman. Um, and just to be clear, right. So recruiting rankings, of course, are projections and and on an individual basis, they are not as accurate as they are on a team basis. Right. Um, you know, just like the NFL draft, not every first round pick hits, not every second round pick hits some sixth round picks become, you know, very good players. Right. Um, you have those outliers. So I looked at the roster, right. And offensive line, by the way, too, is just a developmental position, Mm -hmm. right? So Miami's roster, Navon Donaldson is the only top 100 offensive lineman on the roster. Jalen Rivers and DJ Scaife are the uh, 
only other two offensive linemen on Miami's roster that are in the top 150 in the country coming out of high school. So just for perspective, I looked at Alabama's roster, right? They had three offensive linemen that are five-star players. And then they had five more players that were ranked inside the top 150. So, you know, you, you compare that to Miami, like Alabama, all that's eight players in the top 150. Not all eight of those players hit. Not all of those eight players are, you know, all SEC caliber players. You're going to have misses there, but they play the probability game and they stack these top talents year after year after year, and they're going to hit on two or three of them, right? And um, so that's the game, really. Defensive tackle, you mentioned Nessa Jade Silvera, right? Who I would push back on that as not, I don't know, my expectations were a little lesser of him than his ranking. Um, but I think he's, he's a pretty good college defensive lineman, right? Um, him a multi-year starter. I mean, I think that's about what you expect, right? Right. So he, he and Leonard Taylor, who's a true freshman, not in the rotation yet are Miami's only two, uh, top 100 defensive tackles. You look at Alabama on their roster, guess how many top 100 interior (laughs) defensive linemen they have on their roster how many like they gotta have like like six seven seven wow they have seven so you know (laughs) when you when you're playing the numbers game you mentioned mark pope and i agree he's one of the ones that i still don't believe like i still don't understand how he has not turned into a productive college wide receiver um he is the only top 100 wide receiver recruit currently on miami's roster right miami only has one and it's Mark Pope. He did not hit Alabama has five. Al blades. He's a top. He was a top 100 corner, uh, coming out of high school. Alabama has five. So we can talk about development. You know, I think it goes both ways, right? Like you can talk about the four, the four stars that don't necessarily hit or meet expectations, but on the flip side, what about the three stars? Like John Ford was a three star. Mm-hmm. Has he exceeded those expectations? I don't know. Jared Harrison Hunt, is he better? That. Amari Carter even. I mean, you know, Xavier Restrepo, mm-hmm. Keyshawn Smith, yeah. Corey Flagg, Jordan Miller, Zion Nelson. So it goes both ways. But, um, you know, to me, the bottom line is Miami doesn't, doesn't do a good enough job of stacking elite talent year after year after year after year after year, in my opinion, if you want to compete against these big time programs, that's what needs to change. So I don't think the development's subpar. I don't think the scouting is subpar. To me, it just boils down to recruiting and winning those big time recruiting battles, which I would say they did in 2021, this previous recruiting cycle. They definitely did that. I'm encouraged by the fact that they did do that in that cycle, but they have to keep doing that in 2022 and moving forward. So anything you want to nitpick that I said there, Gabby? No, I mean, the only thing is, but I would just like, you know, you signed the number 11 class last cycle. Ideally you sign another top 12 class, potentially top 15 class. And then the year after that, you know, maybe you jump higher, you get to like, you throw in like a top 10 class in there and then that's how you do it you know you throw a number 11 a class 
a number 13 class and a number nine class together. And you start to see these things sort of snowball uh, to, to in a way that you have enough to sort of, you know, say that like, yeah, maybe this guy didn't work out, but guess what? We brought in this guy and this guy worked out. And like you said, the numbers game, it's what it is. You need to continue to, and it, it's also a thing of just like promoting competition. Cause you throw a four star into Correct. the mix. That's how you develop. He, he's a, he's a, he's a, three, four-year contributor, how much is he being pushed? You know, I feel like a lot of that, that competition, the, that sort of spark that, okay, this guy can take my job right now. I think that also promotes development and that pushes Correct. both guys. And again, that's how you get the most out of these four-star guys. I mean, how many, I'm looking at these and I'm just like, how many of these guys have like truly been like really pushed for playing time? I feel like Blades now, a scafe. I mean, I feel like we've been kind of been really. talking about him for a few years, not really... Uh, Navon, he was out once he came back in. It's like plug and play type of guy, you know. Like I feel like there also needs to be that atmosphere of competition where you know those four stars end up playing up to their potential because you have more four stars, potentially a five star behind them. Those types of guys that will elevate the game of everyone around them and the entire team creates more depth. And you know, then that's how you have a winner. So I think that there's a process that. You right. Know, and Miami's at the beginning of this process. Yeah, it feels that way. Quite frankly, like everyone wants to flip a light switch and be able to compete against Alabama from a roster standpoint. Miami's at the starting point of that process. So we'll see if they can take the next step up in building up their roster here in this 2022 cycle. So I don't know if I answered your question, but that's just how I felt about it. Um, Kemp wants to know do you think? Going up tempo is hurting the offense, specifically with RPOs and zone reads when Derek King has to make more decisions. I, I don't. I mean, I don't know how yeah. you feel, David. Yeah. I mean, I just I – No, think I don't think so. As a quarterback, you need to be able to make those decisions. I think that's just the name of the offense. That's how you sort of do it. I mean, Bryce Young was doing it as a first-year starter. You look around the country at a lot of the successful offenses – that's the sort of way that it's going. I just think that those are the things that are expected of you as a quarterback. You know, this is the sort of offense that a ton of programs are running around across the country. Uh, I feel like it's a very, it's a winning recipe in terms of putting points up. You know, I just think that that's what you have to do. I think at, at times it might be okay to, you know, pull it back and slow it down. Like I think that there's an argument for like that goal line situation to maybe just, you know, let them review the Don Chaney run for the spot. Right. And, you know, maybe take a step back and like make sure you have a package that you are going to get that one yard that you need. So I think there's times to pull it back, but I think overall that tempo works and you need to be able to make the proper reads. I mean, they, they hinted that maybe King didn't make them at times, but again, right. Week one of against a very strong opponent. You hope that week two, week three, week four, by you know, by the time you get into the meteor schedule, DR King's consistently making those right decisions. This isn't a guy that's going to draft get drafted in the first round, you know. Like DR King is very, it's a very good college quarterback. This isn't like a generational talent. So you know, I think there's going to be mistakes, and you know, you just need to hope that when you hit like that meat of the schedule, that DR King just has a full grasp of all the decisions he needs to make when he has to make them in order to have the most productive, the most productive output on that on any given specific play. So that's my sort of take on the tempo and. I absolutely think that. Yeah, it's, I do it's think right to the to the question's point though. Like I I would agree that Derek maybe was a little rusty with his yeah. reads in, in this Alabama game, right? So I think you know people inside the program. I think they feel like they can improve most from week one to week week two with offensive line play, which we kind of saw honestly during the course of that Alabama game. 
I think the RPO reads is another area where they feel like they can make easy improvements from week one to week two, and then just tackling, like we said earlier. So I do agree, I think, with the, the gist of the, of the question in terms of was Derek maybe rusty? I think so, but I don't think it's a, it's a tempo deal um, in terms of why he, may, he might have missed some of those reads. Um, so next question, CB239 wants to know, would like to hear your opinion on Don Chaney slash Cam Harris. So I'll go first on yeah. this one. I do think, you know, I do think John Don Chaney is a more instinctual runner. I do think Don Chaney has better vision. So if the run blocking is, is, is still stinky uh, against lesser opponents moving forward, I do think he'd probably be more productive running the ball. I think, you know, Cam Harris to me has more suddenness, suddenness, more burst. Um, and if the running lanes are there and obviously there, he can be a very dangerous back, a home run hitter. Um, I do think though, one area where Cam Harris is much, much, much better. And this does matter is pass protection. Um, we saw in that Alabama game where Don Chaney had a bad play in pass pro and it might've led to a sack. I forget if it led to a sack or just a, a pressure right up in Derek's face. Um, so I do think, you know, that pass protection ability gives Cam Harris the edge right now. But if Don Chaney shows that he can improve in that regard moving forward, I think he's going to end up being the back, you know, and then when Jalen Knighton's back from his suspension, that's, you know, another guy in the mix there too. But yeah, my take, I think Don Chaney has better vision. I think Cam Harris is faster. Um, and Cam Harris is better in pass pro. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I agree. Basically there, I was going to mention the pass protection and yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a big, thing that sort of separates them is or why maybe Don Chaney isn't going to fully take over because I do think that that's an issue. So Cam, Cam needs to uh, produce this week. I think that's fair yeah. to say, right. You're facing app state. You want to be the lead back. You need to be close to hundred yards in these type of games. If he doesn't get close, if he doesn't produce, you're only asking for Don Chaney to come take your job. So we will see how that goes this week. Dalton 8901 says over under Leonard Taylor getting 15 snaps on Saturday. I will go under. I'll go under. Yeah. I mean, uh, maybe. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I just, I don't see it right now. I feel like that's one position they sort of feel okay about, you know, you got to do and those guys play rotating. They played relatively well. Yeah. So I, I, you know, talk to me maybe after the bye week yeah. um, I would like to see him get rotated in. Like I would, I would like to see him get some snaps. Like I just don't think 15 is going to be. I'm not going to say that he's going to get zero, but right. I can see him getting. You know, maybe eight, nine, maybe ten. Who knows? But um, depends too if Miami's yeah. blowing out. If Miami's win, yeah, exactly. If Miami so. get, gets a big, I think you can definitely see him in there for sure. Brother Malcolm 19 says, "How physical are practices? Have you seen tougher practices in your time covering Miami?" So I kind of addressed this earlier. And I would say, yes, I have seen more physical practices earlier in my time covering Miami, but that's the case around the country. That's mm -hmm. the, that's the case in all of college football and at the NFL level. 
practices just they don't tackle in practice very much ever anymore. So that's just the way it is. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it's not the same type of football practices you would see even five years ago, 10 years ago, and definitely not 15 years ago. So it's just a way the games evolved. You know, they're all about uh, keeping players healthy, um, you know, having them available for games. So yeah, Kane's since 96 says with the way Zion Nelson played Saturday, do you think he's a first or second round pick? I don't know. I, I, I thought the first round hype just generally was maybe sure. a little bit premature. Um, it was. Yeah. I, I, I guess I can see why people like him, but I'm, I'm personally not there yet. And this was before he had to go up against Will Anderson. I right. didn't think he was terrible. Like I didn't no. think he was like, I didn't think he was like bad. Um, I think, I mean, it's obviously a tough, a tough matchup after you miss practice. Again, I think I need to see a little bit more before I get to even feeling like Zion Nelson was a first rounder in the first place. Could he be a second rounder? Sure. You know, I could see him being one of those guys, uh, maybe like a, yeah. a day two pick, but I'm not ready to buy in on the first round. So my thing, yet. my thing, honestly, like, I mean, we'll see how he progresses the rest of the year. To me, he just seems like a guy that like, I'm, I'm thinking of him as a 2023 draft pick, right? So yeah. not this year, but the following year. So yeah. if he develops this year, has another good off season of strength and conditioning and, and improves again next season, I could see it. I could see him being a first round pick in the 2023 draft. But in terms of like the 2022 draft, I got to see much, much, much more from Zion Nelson. So yeah. that's kind of where I stand on that. Uh, the real herd fever says, can Manny ever prove he is amongst the elite coaches in college football? So, you know, I think this is kind of a hard thing to answer. So how do we define elite, right? Yeah. Nick Saban, Dabba Sweeney, I think obviously are elite. Um, I personally would put Jimbo Fisher Jimbo, in there. I think Jimbo Fisher absolutely is in there. You know, Lincoln Riley, I don't know. I mean, I think he's very good. Um, is he elite yet? I don't yeah. know. Brian Kelly, I would probably put him elite. Yeah, I think Kirby. Ryan Day maybe has an argument. Just Maybe, but on. I still need to see more, Yeah, frankly. Kirby Smart, is he elite? I don't know. I mean, you know, there's a lot of these guys that are very, very good, but yeah. do I categorize them as elite? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Categor I definitely don't categorize Ed O as elite, and he's won a national sure. championship. Sure. So let's take the conversation here, Gabby. Can, can he be, let's just say, can Manny Diaz be a top 20 coach? Because I think so. And, yeah. and I think, you know, look, it is what it is at this point. You know, they hired, Miami hired a guy that's been a career defensive, that's been a career assistant, right? Um, and when you do that, especially when you hire him to a program where expectations are high, uh, like Miami, uh, when you hire a guy like that to be your head coach, there's going to be a lot of learning on the job. There's going to be a learning curve uh, because it is much, much, much different, of course, being a coordinator uh, compared to being a head coach. So I do feel like Manny has been learning on the job. I feel like he is still learning on the job. But what I do like about uh, Manny is I do feel he's highly intelligent. I do feel he has shown the ability to be adaptable. 
year over year in terms of assessing, okay, after the season, this is what needs to change about the program. I'm going to go change it. And typically when he does change things, it has worked. Like uh, he's done a good job of making those changes. The things I want, the thing I want to see Manny get better at, and hopefully we see it this season. Um, I want him to see, I want to see changes and adaptability during the course of the season. So, you know, if things pop up during the season that look like they need to be addressed, what is it? How does he find answers to those issues during the season? Um, So, to me, that's kind of the next step. And also, too, you know, I think he took a step forward in recruiting last cycle. I need him to take another step forward in recruiting, quite frankly, if he's going to be an elite coach. Um, so um, nitpicking a little bit with recruiting, but the standard needs to be high in that phase of coaching, in my opinion. You know, you look at Nick Saban, you look at Dabo Swinney, you look at Jimbo Fisher, they are elite recruiters. So I think your head coach needs to be an elite recruiter. I don't think, I think Manny Diaz is good, um, but I, I still think there's room for growth there. So that's kind of where I come from. Uh, and, you know, overall, in terms of learning on the job up to this point, you know, I think Manny's on a solid trajectory. There's still plenty of room for improvement. Don't get me wrong. Um, but he still needs to keep improving um, as a head coach. So where do you stand on this question, Gabby? Yeah. I mean, for me, it's a lot, a lot of it's recruiting. It's like, again, all those names you mentioned again, just to sort of just like echo what you were just saying, they're all elite recruiters. Like these are all guys that are going to be able to close on big time targets. These are all guys that are going to be able to, that have consistently won major recruiting battles in their backyard, in other parts of the country. Um, I think that Miami's getting there. I think that uh, what they did in 2021 was really impressive. Um, I think you need to find a way to do it again. Obviously right now Miami's ranked in like the forties and all that stuff. I do think the quality of the class yeah. is, is high compared to the quantity. Um, you know, I, the average class for uh, the average ranking per recruit is in the four star range, which is a positive, but you need to continue to just stack that type of talent. And if Manny Diaz can start doing that consistently with, you know, his little mix, which he's generally done, which is go land big time transfer additions that are, Sure. you know, ready to come contribute now. And you mix that in with a strong, strong recruiting classes, plus those guys that you can sort of plug and play to contribute immediately to help your team fill those maybe holes that you sort of have because of not recruiting at elite level, then, you know, I think that you can get there. But I think that there's still a lot that needs to happen before we can even start having that conversation. Top 20 coach, I think that that's very possible. I think that has a lot to do with what ends up happening you know, this, this year. year, next yeah. year, you know, as his career progresses. But I really think that starts on the recruiting trail and the type of talent he's bringing into the program. Cause that's the only way you're ever going to, let's say, get yourself to that elite level and, you know, get to Charlotte consistently find a way to, you know, have these close games with Clemson potentially knock them out one year. I think then we could start having that conversation. So we got some recruiting questions here now, Gabby, this from SFF South Florida green child. He says, what was the impact of the Bama game on recruiting? And he lists specifically guys like Shamar Stewart, Mm -hmm. Julian Armella, Jaleel Skinner, and Kamari Wilson. So what are you hearing or what do you think in terms of what does that mean with recruiting? 
Yeah, you know, um, I feel like coming into this Alabama game, we knew that Shamar Stewart was going to be in attendance. He was there, decked out in Miami stuff. I don't think he was there to see Alabama. Um, you know, he has he had mentioned Texas A&M and Georgia, uh, Ohio State were in that top group. I don't think Miami did much to help themselves, you know, to, to be quite honest. I think that there's more time and stuff. Again, I, I think this is a long season. I think he sees opportunity to come in and, you know, you're looking at the defensive ends, you're seeing one sack. I think he knows that there is a chance for him to come in here and play. I'm not sure if the Alabama game rung any bells in his head and, and he was just like, yeah, Miami's where I need to be. Obviously, you know, I think you still see that there are ways away. Um, so that's what I would say about Shamar Stewart. Um, Julian Armella, um, I'm not going to say he's a non-factor at this point, but he's going to drop a top four. And from my understanding, I don't think Miami's going to be a part of it. Um, I think that was happening before the Alabama game. Um, so that's what I would say about Julian Armella. Uh, it sounds like to me like Alabama is a school that he likes. Uh, Florida State, obviously, he was there for the Notre Dame game. Uh, LSU is another program that he's really you know high on. Marlon Martinez, Marcus Dumerville two of his former St. Thomas Aquinas teammates that are, are that are playing at LSU. Um, I talked to him after his game against St. Francis, and he was saying, you know, the idea of having three St. Thomas Aquinas linemen going at it at the same time in the SEC sounds pretty attractive to him. And to me, I think Florida might be that fourth team that, that found the way to sort of, you know, weave their way in there. So I think Miami's on the outside looking in for Julian Armella at this point. Uh, with Jaleel Skinner, what – I mean, I'm not sure if there's a huge impact. I know he was in Tallahassee for his official visit. Coming off that official visit, you know, his tone has sort sort of stayed the same. He's always called Florida State his dream school. But, um, you know, after that, I was waiting to see if he was going to say something like, oh, Florida State, you know, maybe a little like, you know, you know, pulling away a little bit. I think he, he, he sort of kept with that sort of report that it was everyone still running even. He still wants to see a lot from other people. So, you know, I think he's sticking to that October 9th decision date, which isn't far away. We're about a month away now, right? A month mm -hmm. and a day away from that. Um, I'm not sure if the Alabama game did anything specifically to put Miami in a bad spot. I think that they've done a really good job recruiting him at this point. And Kamari Wilson, you know, I think he had, I, I think he was on the, at least from his personal preference, I think he wanted Miami to win that game. Um, I'm not sure. Again, I think this is a guy that's potentially SEC bound regardless. I think Miami will have to do a lot from this point moving forward to potentially sway him away from a Georgia or an LSU or a Texas A&M. I do think there's a chance. He did tell me he's going to official visit. I'm not sure if this Alabama game, you know, did anything either way. Uh, it seems like he's really high on T-Rob. And I, some of these guys, you understand, are a lot about relationships too. Yeah, you want to see the wins. But again, I don't think Mario Wilson truly actually expected Miami to win that game. Um, I'm not sure if anyone's just like riding off Miami after watching that one, right. but um, you know, I don't think Miami did anything to help themselves either. You know, if sure, uh, of course, yeah. So that that's sort of my overall take on how the Alabama game sort of impacts Miami's recruiting efforts. I don't think it necessarily hurts them. I don't think it necessarily helps them. Um, so I think it's a, I think it is. It's just one of those. It is what it is type of situations. Keeps everything pretty stagnant. And, uh, you know, Miami just needs to go out the rest of the year and just show all these guys who they are as a, as a program. Yeah, it's a long season. There's still yeah. plenty of games to be played, you know, from Miami standpoint and every other team around the country. Um, if I was going to if I was going to put you on the spot and said you feel the like of that four, mm -hmm. I assume you would say either Shamar or Skinner. Yeah. Which one do you feel like Miami's in the best spot with right now? Yeah, um, I would definitely go with either one of those two. I, I feel like you can convince me either way on on either one of those guys. 
Um, Shamar just being a local guy and just like, I feel like he does make the effort to, yeah. you know, be around Miami's program. I think he's sort of waiting for that, like, give me a reason to stay type of deal. You know, I think he's waiting for like that, like, all right, like, just like that sort of like, again, like that light bulb where it's just like, all right, I, I, I can play at Miami. Like he, Miami can't compete. Like, I think he's waiting to find a reason to like, that, that's how, that's just like my sort of feel just like him because he doesn't have to go be around as much as he is. Like, I think he just wants that, like, give me a reason to stay type of thing. Sure. And that's why maybe Texas A&M who's on the cusp of, you know, being a legitimate, like national title contender, you know, unbelievable resources and facilities. That's obviously high in his, in his mind. Ohio state is Ohio state. They've been doing it at an extremely high level. I feel like he's waiting for Miami to sort of be not there, but just sort of hint or just show that they have the potential of climbing or trending towards that direction. That's probably why I'd go Shamar at this point, but I mean, I don't feel too bad about Jalil Skinner either. Yeah. So Dalton 8901 wants to say, is there any word right now, Gabby, on Miami having a big official visit weekend? I assume he's talking just in general this fall. Yeah. Um, I don't, I, I don't know about, like a big official visit weekend, maybe during the season. I, I, I feel like if they do it, it's, I feel like it's typically like that last weekend before signing day, right. That they've, that they've done December. it. Yeah. yeah. That December official visit weekend. If I was betting, I would assume that would probably be the weekend. I haven't heard of anything like on this specific thing. The home, the home schedule isn't like, you know, you, if you want, you want to have guys coming every game, but like I talked to Nigel e. Kelly and I asked him like, you know, do you have any plans to get to Miami? And he's like, yeah, I'll probably just pop in whenever. Like, you know, it feels like Miami's just sort of right. betting that these guys will come around. Like these guys are just going to pull up to Hard Rock Stadium and just be around the program and them being so close. And you saw a couple guys already sort of use their official visit. Like, you know, the Wesley Besaint, like, you know, he's a big guy there. Uh, you know, a lot of like the Jaden Gibson types, he sort of uses official visit. The, um, the Henderson brothers, they use their official visit. Maybe like a Jaheim Singletary down the road. Um, you know, maybe a Shamar Stewart, Nigel Kelly, but those guys aren't even sure if they're going to give Miami one of their fish five official visits. So, you know, it, it's tough. I think Miami's more betting on those guys just coming around the program and just being around rather than like, you know, trying to get all of them on that one official visit weekend. Let's say, they, let's see if they put together a nice little stretch. Now, I think if right. they start to put together some momentum and let's say some other schools that maybe they're viewing start, maybe start to decline, I could see them start, start to like, maybe think about, Hey, maybe we should take advantage of this let's schedule something up. But at this point right now, I'm not sure if there's anything in the works for any specific weekend. Then people, you know, in general, just general recruiting updates. Is there anything, I mean, you got a couple articles up on the site today. Yeah. Um, anything to share in that regard, just recruiting updates with some of the targets. Yeah. It's, it's I mean, it sounds like Miami's Miami's coaching staff is going to get out on the road for the first time in a while, you know, this weekend not this weekend, probably Friday night, uh, you know, go to high school games. There's a few really good ones uh, across South Florida. You got Dillard at Miramar. I wrote today that uh, T-Rob is going to be, is going to go to walk to watch Nigel E. Kelly um, pace plays chomping yacht. I would not be surprised to see a Miami staffer on hand to watch Shamar Stewart um, American heritage and St. Thomas Aquinas play. That's probably the biggest game in South Florida this weekend. Uh, I would be surprised if someone wearing a U was not on the sideline. I would expect someone to be at that one. Uh, you got a couple other games. You got Columbus and Chaminade. There's some underclassmen at Columbus that Miami likes, some underclassmen at Chaminade that Miami has their eyes on as well. Could someone pull up there? Potentially. I don't have all the details on where everyone's going at this point. Hopefully I'll have that to you 
uh, you know, within the next 24 hours or so, or at least hopefully by Friday, uh, just to have a better idea. But uh, it seems like the coaches are going to get out there. Um, another guy I talked to this weekend or recently is uh, Snoop Amama. He's an offensive lineman out of Utah. He came down for Paradise Camp. That's where he earned an offer. You know, he's, if you follow him on social media and stuff, you'll see that he's constantly tweeting about Miami. He tweeted last week that he and Karen Justice had a really good conversation. So I called him to talk about that. Um, you know, it seems like him and him and Coach Justice have, you know, really built a strong connection. I think, uh, you know, Virginia, Syracuse, Liberty, uh, BYU, a couple of schools like that are in it for him. You know, not a super highly coveted guy, but um, it seems like he's starting to generate some interest. He said Florida's sort of come around. Illinois is starting to, like, show some attention. So it was a six foot four, 340-pound interior lineman. You know, Miami's obviously missed out on guys like, you know, Jacob Hood. It doesn't feel like Julian Armella is going to be. Uh, a factor anymore you obviously you know Daughtry Richardson uh, Leighton Nelson or a couple other guys that decided to go elsewhere uh, this could be a name to know down the road uh, so you know I would definitely watch out for him and you know just how his recruitment sort of progresses I don't know if a decision's coming anytime soon but it feels like he could be a guy that coach justice eventually turns to as an interior guy um, I think other than that you know it's been a little Let me bit ask you this too because yeah. like right now I mean there's nothing like new targets emerging, right? Yeah. It's kind of Miami's got their guys that they want to go chase. Mm -hmm. And uh, there are a lot of big, big, big time prospects. And they're still chipping away at those guys, correct? That's kind of the mentality right now. Yeah, I mean, it feels like they have their guys and they're sort of sticking to them. Again, they're, I don't think they're in the, I, I don't think they're just going to start pivoting to plan B guys just to pivot to plan B guys, just because, you know, with the flexibility of the transfer portal, I think that they would rather make sure that they have guys up to that sort of, at least what's considered their standard. So I don't think like they're just going to go chasing after just anybody just to bring a guy in at a certain position. I think they have to truly like someone in order to go after them. That could happen this fall, you know, especially now that they get eyes on people, you know, that could potentially change if there's this guy that, you know, starts to break out or anything across the country with the huddle films and all that. Uh, but it hasn't happened yet. And that right. could be because they've been in full Alabama prep or just full in se just season mode. But um, at this point, which is, you know, only a couple weeks into the high school football season, nothing, nothing quite yet, but it feels like their guys are their guys at this point, And they're just going to continue to battle it out for them. And last thing, you know, this can be just quick, but J M O G burn wants to know, if Miami's been in touch with any other 2022 quarterbacks other than Jakari Brown, just in case, right? He, he does recognize that Jakari seems 100% solid and has been that way for months. So any, anything going on in that yeah, regard? No, I don't think so. I, don't, I, don't, I can't imagine them going after another quarterback. I think Jakari's their guy. And right. uh, we'll keep it short and simple with that one. So – that was fun. Good questions, everyone. Uh, next podcast, we will preview App State. Big game, in my opinion. Miami needs a bounce back, so it'll be a fun watch in that regard to see how they respond from that Alabama opener. So, till next time, take care, guys. Uh, thanks for listening, as always.